where you live shouldn't limit your access to quality internet. That's not fair. U.S. Cellular introduces fast and fair high-speed internet. With reliable home internet from U.S. Cellular, now there's no limit to how you stream, game, and work. So instead of this, you get this. Upgrade to fast and fair high-speed internet from U.S. Cellular. Upgrade to fair. why anyone would do their podcast naked. I mean, honestly, maybe not, but I'm like, this is the closest I'm ever going to get to being naked on my podcast. But tonight we're going to meet Jen Taylor. She is the sassy woman and I love her to death. So we're going to talk to her. I want to hear her story. Um, I'm Connie Bramer. Welcome to Laughter and Inspiration. Most of you know me as the founder of Get Your Rack Back, my nonprofit that helps cancer patients with financial services in upstate New York, like gas and grocery gift cards, medical copayment assistance. And I'm also the author of How Connie Got a Rack Back. And unfortunately, right now we're in the midst of a pandemic. So for my foundation, we really don't have anything going on, which is so sad because like we're always fundraising and doing fun things. So if you want to find out more about my, my foundation, you can just go to gyrb.org. So I have said before that I love meeting and talking to interesting people. So Jen Taylor was like on my list of people that I had to have as a guest on my podcast. And I want to tell you about Jen. So Jen is a mom, and I know I always leave with that because I'm a mom. It's like a clubber. But hers is she's mom of 18, Okay, I have an 18-year-old, but I'm not the mom of 18, so I can't wait to hear this story. She's also, also the author of Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, and I wanted to make sure I read it so I didn't screw it up. And she hosts the Naked, she's the host of the Naked Podcaster. So welcome, Jen. Thank you for being on the show. I love it. Thank you so much. Every time I hear, uh, you know, someone introduce me, it's always, you. it's like you learn more about yourself. I'm, I'm kind of glad you like led with mom of 18, but like, that's not your focus. Cause that is definitely everyone's focus, but we will get to that. Yeah, we will definitely get to that. But Jen is like a no holds barred person and she just says it like it is. And I'm like that. And I love that about her. So I have to tell you how I met Jen. So I participated in this book called Chaos to Clarity. It was released in 2019. And actually, the follow-up is being released in 2020 later this year. And it's called Crappy to Happy. And I'm in that book also. So Jen interviewed me last year for this book and my part in it. And when I, when I saw that she was a naked podcaster, I was thinking like, 
the naked truth, right? I wasn't thinking naked. So Jen, you don't know this behind the scenes story, but I have to tell you, when you interviewed me, my daughter was home from college. She came down the stairs. So if you watch the podcast with you, you can see Alyssa coming down the stairs. She comes down the stairs and she takes like a double take and she's like, what? And I, and this is before, like with the pandemic, one of my major projects was cleaning out this office of mine. So I cleaned it, painted it, put up my fancy, you know, tapestry that makes me feel like I'm at the ocean. But before that, I was doing my interviews in the kitchen, on the kitchen island. So she walked around the other side of the kitchen island and she looks at me and she's like, so it was, she's like, what is that? So I laughed so hard. I mean, it was just so funny. So, you know, I said to you earlier, this is the closest I'm going to get to having a naked podcast. Like it looks like maybe I'm naked there, but that's as low as I'm getting. But you are really a brazen lady. I love it. So I have a lot of burning questions for you. And I wrote them down because I want to make sure I don't screw up. So first I want to say your book is raw and real. And it tells like the metamorphosis of you becoming you. And I thought it's just really genuine. It's, I want, I want to almost say like hardcore because you just like cut right to it. And one statement that you had that really, you know, reached, you know, it really reached out to me because, you know, you talk about being strong women and, you know, I have a lot of women who are strong women in my life. A lot of them are single and this statement, and I got to read it so I don't mess it up, but this was great. At the end of one particularly difficult relationship, I was told that because of my strong personality, I would never have a successful relationship with anyone else. At this point, I was secure enough with myself that I calmly said, it's not about me being too strong, it's that I've chosen weak men. If, I, if a man was secure and strong himself, I was convinced not only could he appreciate my strength, but see the soft edges underneath. I'm not a bully. I am not malicious. I'm a survivor and Amazon, and I have the scars to prove it. And I will share those scars with you in this book. I thought that was really an amazing thing. So where did that come from? Like what was, what inspired you to write your book? That's a great place to start. And, and so far, no one asked me that question. Um, and thank you for the shout out on the book. It's always, anytime, you know, you're a published author, it's, it's if you're doing a service to the people reading it, you are super raw. And that's a hard space to be in or stay in. I wrote the book in, in February of 2015. My ex-husband and I had six kids together that were under the age of 18 at that point. I mean, with 18 kids, they came from kind of a lot of different places. We can go into that. But there were six under the age of 18 with my ex-husband. My kids came forward, three out of six of them on the same week. And two of them on the same day without talking to each other. So for whatever reason, something happened where they all kind of hit the end of their rope at the same time. And they accused him of being physically abusive. <clears throat> now he's not here to defend himself. And in the past, he said that that's not completely accurate. However, um, so I'm not here to speak to his story. I am here to support my kid's accusation. About, uh, well, 16 days later, I had full custody of my kids. So the day that I heard about this was a Friday. On Tuesday, I had, uh, I had full custody. I kept them from that moment on. And then I had custody of them. Now, I'm the person that, you know, I grew up in a lot of dysfunction. And I knew it can be different. Mm -hmm. I wrote the book about that. And the skill set that I used, I think we're really, really good as a population at building a resume 
but we don't look at our lives as the skills we, so you work for some company and you did X, Y, Z, but what skill set did you use? And so I, I think I automatically, my brain is, has been trained from a pretty young age to learn my skill set. So that's the first thing that I want to just point out because it will come up. The next thing is that because of where I came from and someone made a difference to me, I really wanted to make a difference to other kids, which is how I got 18 kids. All of this is so interconnected. Um, I did foster care for 12 years and then I became, a I, then I worked for a nonprofit and I trained foster parents and then I became a trainer of trainers, which means like I had so much training, I could train trainers to teach this training on suicide prevention and conflict resolution and all the really tough stuff that you you have to learn and know to work in the foster care system. So I did that for a few years. Um, I'm in this foster care system, removing kids and adopting them and having them long-term and age out to get them out of abusive situations. And then to find out inadvertently, I had put them in an abusive situation, which is called a cruel irony. It was yeah. one of the hardest days of my life because Everything about who I was and what I was trying to do for these kids, I, I realized the opposite happened. Not because of me or from me, but still somehow in, in the in that environment. In that environment. The person that I had chosen to yeah. have seven kids with. And <clears throat> that gave me the bravery, the balls to decide I'm writing my book. I was afraid to write my book before that. I was afraid that my mom would read it and it would hurt her feelings. I was afraid my kids would read it and look at me differently. I was afraid my friends would read it. I, like anybody would look at me differently because I talk about what it was like to be molested growing up and what it was like to be kicked out and what it was like to feel neglected and unwanted and unworthy and what it was like to lose my virginity to rape. And what all those things were like. And when you learn those things about a person, you're looking at them through a different lens. And I was afraid of how people would view me. And the moment, the moment that I found out my kids had been physically abused, the one thing that I wanted to make sure is that they never were afraid of their story. And it's amazing. You know, you said, I'm a mom and you bring that up first because you're a mom. It gives you this lioness feeling of like, Look, you can screw me over, but don't you dare touch my children. I am a different person. And that situation gave me the guts to do that. I wanted my story out. I wanted it because I wanted my kids to know that their story mattered, that they should never be ashamed of it, and all the fear and baggage I hung on that I attached to my story of growing up or that the book goes till I'm about 21. It was gone. I had no more fear, and that's why I wrote the book. And then I wanted to help everybody write books because it was such a powerful experience to go through it myself. And um, I tried. I tried to figure out, like, how can I fit this and help people write books? And it didn't work. Nine months after my book was released, my husband's best friend said – he had a very successful podcast. And he said, you should start a podcast. And I realized by having the podcast, that was how other people's story got out. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to share everyone's story because I personally am just so drawn to the story. I love hearing the story. And there are two things that happen. One is when I tell my story and you read my book, you're like, oh, my God, I can't imagine going through that, right? My, you right. Read is powerful. And the other thing you say is, but my story isn't good enough. Almost everyone says the same thing. Oh my God, your story is so powerful and my story is not good enough. And I'm, I, I'm just fascinated by that because my story is powerful, but not more or less than yours. All of our stories are equally as, pos as, 
as powerful. And women are the worst at dumbing themselves down when it comes to the story. Like, I don't know if you don't want to use this, if it's not good enough, if it doesn't fit in, like, stop, stop that bullshit talk that we do to ourselves. If you thought mine was powerful, then yours is equally so. It's different, which makes it powerful, which makes it unique. And those stories, because mine was only one, and this all came from my kids, my kids admitting that they were or, or coming forward and, and having that accusation that they had been physically abused. That was the launch to me, not having fear and wanting lots of stories because I wanted my kids to embrace their story. And trust me, as parents, I may have not done that to them, but I've done tons of other stuff to them. I mean, I've given them baggage inadvertently, even though I tried to be a great mom all the time. I created some of their baggage, 100%. 150%. And then the world does. You know, we want to get mm-hmm. out of these situations or make it better than ours. And even though we're trying to do that, and maybe we, I did a great job at doing that, we're still screwing them up in our own way. So the book, I know that's a super long-winded story, but they're all connected. The book came from my kids being brave enough to come forward. So how could I not be brave enough to come forward? And how could I not encourage other people to be brave enough to come forward? I, I agree. And, you know, when I was reading your book – I had the same thought that you just went over and said, you know, my story is not good enough. My story is different, like you said, but it's so true. You hit, you hit right on that because I read that and I'm like, there's no comparison to like my cancer story, you know, and all the stuff I went through. It's all kind of bullshit when you look at everything that you went through. But your story was really amazing. And there was a couple of things, there was a lot of it that I kept was resonating with me. Like I would say, you know, she is spot on with all of these things. And some of it I think comes from viewing it from the lens of being a woman, mm-hmm. you know, and how you feel vulnerable in a lot of situations. You know, you talk about like being in the woods during your rape and, and how you felt and how you wanted to like, just, you know, kind of melt into the roots of the ground and, I think there's a lot of times in life as women, and I don't want to speak for all women, but I'm just saying, you know, you and I talking about this, that we do want to metaphorically, like, you know, go into the roots of the ground because we just want to hide from a lot of things. We don't want to talk about some things. Like, as you said, like in your book, you didn't want your mom reading it. I didn't want, there's a lot of things I didn't write in my book that I really wanted to write about what I had gone through that I did not articulate because I was afraid my kid, you know, what are my kids going to think? My kids, my book's been out for eight years. My kids still have not read my book. Their friends have read my book, which is kind of interesting, but like they have not read my book. So they, they don't know the story that I went through. I think I wonder, would they look at me differently too? Just the same thing that you said. But one of the parts that really touched me a lot was I always talk up to my kids about how important it is to treat everyone, you know, as if they're special and be kind to everyone because you never know what someone's going through and we all look different. You know, someone who, you know, just looks different from us doesn't mean they're not the same as, as we are inside. And one of the stories that you tell is about an encounter you had with a man um, in a store that you were working in and how he gave you a gift because you were so kind. Can you tell us about that story? And like, how did that, did that change anything about you at all? I think there's lots of pivotal moments that happen in our lives that we don't really think about um, as happening but that was pretty powerful yes so I worked in a store that's very similar to Kmart in the in New England it was called Zares it's no longer um 
there. I mean, they went bankrupt a long time ago. It was kind of like Kmart. So like not as nice as Walmart, right? It was a step down. And I was just a checker. I was a checker. I was good at it. You know, I liked the fact that they could check how fast we were going and how well we interacted. And there was a lot of customer feedback. This was back in 87 or 88, you know, and, uh, this guy came through, he was, I'm 5'9", so I'm tall, but like he was shorter than me, super skinny, like 120 pounds soaking wet, long stringy hair, kind of looked a little like he was a small man, so he wasn't intimidating physically, but he kind of looked like he could have been living on the street, so that's sort of how he was dressed and presented himself, and I treated him like I treat I think you should just treat everybody the same. I don't know his story. Right. And even though I was like 16 or 17 at the time, so I had to have been 86 or 87, um, I, I'm not there to make any judgment. And lucky for me at a young age, I had learned that you just, you just, I, I have like this two minute interaction with each person as a checker. Like there's no reason for me. I'm not in a scary place. I'm not, nothing's going to, bad's going to happen to me right there. Treat people nicely. There's no, no reason not to. So I did. I just was my normal self and he left and he came back and he said, um, the way you treated me today, because I know I look scary. I'm a long haul truck driver. So I'm on the road. That's why he looked homeless. I'm on the road for days and days at a time. I never see my family. I've been divorced three times. Um, because I'm, I'm never home. And he said, people look at me and they don't always treat me nicely or because I'm on the road all the time, there's just not a lot of contact with people, like one-on-one -on -one focused, nice to you contact. He said, you made such a difference to me as I went through your line today that I want to give this to you so that you will know that there's someone out there somewhere who is thanking you for just being nice to them. And he gave me, he said it was his wedding ring from his, from his ex-wife and it was three, it was silver gold and rose gold and it was braided and it was cut through, like it had been cut off of his finger. And, um, I brought it to a jeweler and had that welded and it fit on my, mm -hmm. and I, I do still have it. I wore that thing. I'm, let's see, I'm 50 now. It was probably about five years ago. So from 16 or 17 to 45, I like almost never took the thing off of my thumb and it started wearing out so much that it, I, it's breaking, it's breaking down, you know, it's just, I've worn it out. And mm -hmm. so it needs to be fixed before I can wear it again. But I wore it every day because it was a sign to me that in passing, we can make this enormous impact on the life of another human being. And most of the time we won't know it. If he hadn't come back in just to say, thank you, not to give me anything, just to say, thank you. I would have lived my life never knowing that just being kind in passing made a difference to him. I would have never known the impact that I made. And that story means a lot to me because most of the time we are making an enormous impact in the lives of others and we will never know it. Right. What impact do you want to know? A lot of things say like, what do you want your gravestone to say about you? What do you want people? What do you want your, write your eulogy. Okay. Yeah. Do that stuff because what difference do you want to make in the lives of other in passing without ever knowing it? Write your damn eulogy. What do you want it to say? Because most of the time people don't come back and tell you. And most of the time it's in the Starbucks drive-through where you're even either a bitch because your coffee order wasn't right. Or you're like, dude, your voice on the intercom just rocked my world. Keep it up. We don't take the yeah. time to say that to people. So one, it taught me to say it to people. Mm -hmm. I 
you. You made a difference. Thank you so much. Give an extra hug. Not during quarantine, obviously. I'll right. right. <laughs> down. I'm not afraid of that. But, you know, I mean, like, take a moment to say it. And mm -hmm. remember, everyone is watching. You're making a difference. So what do you want to say? And yeah, I agree. Makes me get really choked up thinking about it. Well, it hit home for me because I don't like with my foundation, it's not my mission for people to come back and thank me for things. It's just, it's who I am. It's, it's the journey that I had that people were kind to me. You know, people who didn't know me sent me cards and I'd be like, who is this person? But they just were so encouraging. So knowing that I wanted to do the same thing. And I just wanted to share this one little story with you because I had a similar situation about, I don't know, it was like a couple years ago because my son is now going to be a sophomore in college. So he was a senior in high school at the time. And I got a call and my daughter's in college, was in college at the time. And my phone is my work phone, my home phone, my foundation phone. So this man calls me crying. And as a mom, immediately my dander's up and I'm like, is my kid okay thinking, right? I'm thinking, is my daughter okay in college? And he tells me who he is. He asked me if I'm who I am. And I say, yes. And he said, well, I just left my oncology office and I got your card and he was a stage four cancer patient. And for me, like I write something different for a stage four person because they need encouragement to keep going where someone who's not, um, I'm going to tell them something different. Like it's going to be in your rearview mirror soon. You know, it's just a different conversation, different note. So I gave him $500 in grocery gift cards for my foundation. And he cried and he was, and he said, you know what? I'm 60, whatever. I live alone. And I didn't think anybody cared about me. And it was like later on in the day, I just gotten home from work and I was sitting on the couch and I was crying and my son came home and he's like, mom, what's the matter? And I said, you know, I told him the story. It goes, but mom, that's good. You know, so it's like the same kind of thing. We don't know sometimes the legacy we're leaving for people after our interaction. And it goes with the closing of every one of my podcasts, which I'll tell you, my mom, who has, who's been gone almost 25 years from breast cancer, had a saying, and it was always leave people better for having known you. And whether it's a handshake, holding a door open, whether it's just the smallest of gestures, just being kind, like you were in that store, like it's just important to, to live your life that way. So I really want to thank you for sharing that in your book. I think there's a lot of stories in your book that will resonate with a lot of people. And there's a saying I wanted to share because I'm shifting gears a little bit because, you know, I'm a little snarky. So when I was reading your book, um, there was one thing that I really liked and it was, you were talking to your boy, your old boyfriend, Kevin, oh. the one you took, he went to, you guys went to the prom together, right? We did, we did my, our entire junior year of high school. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you tell the story and you said, I don't know if it was, I think he said this life can be shit, but shit is fertilizer. So we use it to grow something better. Amen. And I thought, that's so, so right. So spot on, right? That's what I said to him. Yeah, Kevin, geez. I, writing this book changed so many things. You don't understand that it will. And one of them is I, cre I created a workshop from writing this book. Someone asked me, was it really hard to write? You write about tough stuff. And I was like, um, no. The tough stuff wasn't hard to write because I've done the work on myself and I've done the therapy. Um, I had to really, really tap into the emotions that I felt at the time 
not how I feel about them now. And that was a little bit tough to switch gears because I've done so much work, but I, I wanted them to come, be, to come off very authentic because they were. So I really had to tap into my past self feelings. The hardest part about writing this book was talking about the people who positively made a difference in my life. That sounds silly, but not in a bad way. I asked permission. Everyone's name you see, Kevin. Kevin's a real person. That's his real name. Mm-hmm. Every time I was writing about a person in a positive way, I asked, wrote to them and said, I'm writing a book and I'm, I want to put you in it. Is it okay if I, one, use your real name and share the story about us? And every single one of them said yes, which I was actually surprised by, but every one of them said yes. So when I wrote that section about them, I would email them that section and it gave me the opportunity to thank them for being part of my life. Mm-hmm. And like with Kevin, we had been in touch. You know, I had graduated 28 years before. We, we've been in touch with each other. I know everything about Kevin, but we hadn't like really connected. You know, you can be in mm-hmm. touch with people and not really connect. Right. Since we broke up in high school. And so when I sent him the paragraph, and this happened over and over and over again, when I sent him the paragraph, he was like, oh my gosh, I forgot all about this and remember this and remember this. It started this dialogue and he wasn't disputing my memory because this was my story in my memory. And so my sister doesn't agree with parts in the book because it's not her memories. They're my memories. You know, she's like, I don't right. know how it happened. Well, no, you had a different lens than I did. So it opened up this dialogue with people and I got, I had the opportunity to thank them for being a positive influence in my life. And that created a workshop that I do with people because that I spent three days off and on, on the phone with Kevin crying and catching up, mm-hmm. but it was emotionally exhausting. It was the hardest part about my book in the most positive way. And so, you know, it's always, you never know what to expect when you're going through something. So say thank you. Saying thank you means a lot to people. Just like that guy coming into the store, giving me the ring. He said, thank you. It made me realize what a difference you can make in passing. Me writing the book, I was saying thank you in very large ways. And it's super impactful. Well, I think your legacy not only is going to be a mom, you know, your podcaster, but that book really res- it's going to resonate with a lot of people and I'm sure it already has. I mean, I could not stop reading it last night. I, I like, I try to be prepared and, and I'm busy working and stuff and I'm like, I want to read this. And I sat down and I thought, well, I'll skim a little bit. And I'm like, forget that shit. I'm going to go back and read the whole thing. So that's what I did last night. It's just, it's, good. it's such a good, it's such a good book. All right. So I sent Jen a list of possible questions that I'd like to ask because I don't like to ask just like, weird. I I always like to ask like weird stuff, I guess. Right, Jen? Some of them are weird. Okay. So here, so she sent me back her answers to everything, which cracked me up because I was going to ask her them like on the spot. So I want to read. She's just really prepared. You know, the naked podcaster is prepared. So I want to read to you one of the things I asked of her and what she said. So the question was, if in 100 years, science has failed to save us, which at this point in time, it's probably a legit freaking question to ask. And all that is left is a book about your life. What would be the title and what would the blurb tell us about Jen Taylor? All right. So this is what she said. And I love this because I cracked it. Who are these kids and why are they calling me mom as the title? 
Sometimes don't you, sometimes don't you just want to change your name? All right. And then the other, then the blurb is um, the story of being laid back, rolling with things and being a strong personality who takes no, takes little shit, admits her failures and kicks ass in life. And I thought that's pretty apropos for your story. I think it really nails it. So I thought that was really funny. And I wanted to read to you something because I am the queen of trying to find funny quotes because you know you've been on my you've been on my Facebook page. So the the Facebook page for Laughter and Inspiration is called Laughter and Inspiration. And on it, I try to have it be interactive where people go and share their own things. And initially I said, you know, don't swear, you know. Well, that's out the window. Like fuck this, fuck that on there, which we, we laugh about. It's, it's okay. But um, I try to find funny quotes. So here's one that Jen, I know you're going to relate to. Parenting is buying four bananas and watching them all get eaten in one day. Then buying eight bananas and watching them rot on the counter because nobody likes bananas. Right? Like, is that so true? Well, I'm like, welcome to my life. We eat so much banana bread. So my daughter like waits for them to go bad. And then she makes banana bread. My husband buys bananas and he'll, he knows it takes three to make a loaf. So he'll buy like nine or 12. And I'm like, that's a lot of bananas. He's like, yeah, they're just going to sit there and you'll make four loaves of banana bread. I'm like, damn it. He knows the system. But it's so true. Like when I buy a few, like a small amount, my son is the banana eater, scarfs them up like a Hooper vacuum cleaner. And then when you buy a, a bunch of them to get you through, I mean, it's not like they're that expensive. I think the thing that totally torques me is that I buy grapes and then they, they don't eat them, which totally makes me mad because they're like six bucks for a big thing of it. And they don't eat it. And it's like shriveled up. I thought one night, I'm like, I should just make wine. Like maybe I'll get a bucket out and like, just, you know, smash them with, smash them with my feet. <laughs> I've got one bucket by your sink. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is you and I have spoken about this. And actually we talked about this on your podcast. I talked to my cancer patients about writing down three things that they're grateful for every day to keep a gratitude journal. And you take it one step farther, if I can remember correctly, and you do three in the morning and three at night. Is that right? I Did do you tell me that. Yes, I do. You know, there's a, something in the number three for me that comes across all the time. And um, it's scientifically proven now. So ta-da, I was a genius. Ta-da. Um, three is just easy. I, I think it's honestly, it, for me, it comes from if I have three things to buy at the store, I'll remember them. I don't need a list. But the second you put the fourth one on, it's done. So I, for me, I keep, I chunk things in threes, but mm-hmm. it is scientifically proven. So I am a genius. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I, it's the first, it's the, the first exercise in my coaching also. And I do, um, three in the, it has to be three new things every day that you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And it trains your brain to look for the positive in the world. It starts to shift because after you do it within 21 days, and this is the science behind it within 21 days, if you're writing three new things that you're grateful for, you start to look for the positive because you're like looking for your lists for the next day or for later that night. Um, I like to do it at night actually better in the morning. It's more like my prayer of Thanksgiving and gratitude and joy of things because the day hasn't happened yet. So right. I feel like in the morning it's a little bit different. It's more like my, yeah, kind of like my prayer for the day, but there's three things and um, it's what I'm thankful for at night. How I did it 
once I had kids, how I did it was called high-low. So the kids were allowed to say, if you have kids, it's a great exercise. One thing that happened in their day that wasn't very good, and we kept, I kept it to one because I don't like negativity, and it's super easy. Mm -hmm. You can think of 20 things that pissed you off during the day, and then you're in this right. And you're all worked up. So one thing about their day that wasn't that great, that's the low. And then three highs, three things that were that happened that day that were good. And I had a huge family, so it gave everyone the spotlight. But even if you have one kid, it's still giving them the spotlight. I learned a lot through my kids doing this, things that I probably wouldn't have learned in, in other just normal conversation. Um, I think because it gave them the spotlight and because everybody could kind of interact, because we got to ask them questions after they did their high and their low. And um, it's training them to look for that positive in life. And so that's how I had done it for years and years and years and years and years at night. But I think doing the gratitude journey or doing your high-low, however you do it, three things at night that you're grateful for, it kind of looks at the day that just occurred. And yeah, I have, I, I do that. I think there's a power in three and there's a power in being grateful. And science can prove it, but I just know through my life, it was a skill set that I developed that helped me. Like there's, there's a silver lining in everything. There's something good in everything. I don't care if it's, you know, you made your bed today and you had it for a week. I don't care what it is. It's the same thing with exercise. If you're taking the stairs instead of the elevator and walking to your mailbox with intention, you're exercising. It doesn't have to be enormous. People get overwhelmed. Three mm -hmm. things you're grateful for that happened this day. You woke up. You're breathing. You watched right. your You made your bed. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be overwhelming to switch to start looking, training your brain to look for the positive in the day. I totally agree with you. And that's I had a flood in my basement a few, like, I don't know, three years ago. And I lost my gratitude journal from when I was going through my cancer. And it was very cathartic for me. And that's why I want people to write it down. Cause it's very cathartic to look back. Like, you know, six months ago, I was in the shits of my life. Right. And you look back and say, well, I was still grateful for this, this, and this. And it just makes you, it, it, you're contemplating where you've come from, I think. You know, that's, that's very important. So what would be your three things today? Oh, that I'm here with you now. Yeah. I'm naked. I <laughs> <laughs> yes, for anyone who is questioning that, I, I'm no, I'm not going to prove it. Um, I yeah. love like as we're recording, regardless of when people listen or when it's released, it's 6 a.m. for me, and this is like my favorite time of the day. So I get to spend my favorite time of the day with you. Uh, my bed is made. Spending time with you, being that's like I can I can list like tw I'm so good at this now. I could list. Yeah. Like, and but yeah, I mean it's a it's the beginning of a beautiful day for me. I'm spending it with you and I, I get to be naked. I, well, I love that. So let me ask you this question though. Why, why the nakedness? Is it just like completely revealing yourself? I mean, you're not revealing yourself like legitimately, but like, what was the thought process behind saying, I want to do a naked, I want to become the naked podcaster. It was a happy accident, and this is, uh, this is a great – another question people, like, never ask me. They just get all caught up in the fact that are they going to see my nipples? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> like, maybe off air. I'll show yeah. up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Connie's going to see him, but not you. Um, one, I was doing the podcast. It was in the first couple months I was doing the podcast, and initially it was called Jen Taylor Rerouting because life takes us – it's like your GPS. Like You think you're going the right way, and then your GPS is like, oh, just kidding. You're not. We're going to reroute yeah. you. And I remember being in my car one day with my best friend. I was bringing her from – I was bringing her somewhere, and I'm like, I said to take a left. I took a damn left. It's 
fucking rerouting me. Like, what is the deal? I'm listening and still. And that's what life feels like a lot of the time. You think it's going to be point A to point B straight line. It ends up being up a mountain, twists and turns. You need a Sherpa. It's cold. You're, you know, you're not driving. It's, it's never direct. So it's called rerouting in the very beginning. And one day my husband, like I am set up in, in, I, at the time I was set up in our bedroom. So you could walk in and out of the bedroom and in and out of the bathroom and no one would see you. You know, I was hidden, but obviously my husband could see me and he came in and I wasn't wearing pants. Legitimately, I did not have pants on. And I had a shirt on like, like you, because like, you want to have, you don't want to appear naked. Right. And he, he looked at me and he like looked at me and I had to keep a straight face. And afterwards he's like, so you just like, you don't, you're not wearing pants. I'm like I told my coach, my dream job was that I didn't have to wear pants. And I, like, I don't have to wear pants. I'm like, as a matter of fact, I don't have to wear anything. I could be naked because you only see me from the shoulders up. So I could be the podcaster bearing it all. And then I looked at him and I went, holy shit. I'm, yeah. That's, that actually is who I am. I am asking you on my podcast to bear it all. I tell people when I'm exactly. – when you come on before I hit record, here are the rules. Here's our pregame. Like, if I can find it online, it's not good enough. If you're not willing to go deeper, you're not on the right show. I looked you up online, so I know what I found online. I want to dig deeper. If you cry during this, I'm not happy that you're crying, but I'm happy because that's the, that's the mental attitude. That, that's where I want you at. I want you digging deep like I did on my book. It's an hour to write your book, an hour to tell your story. I'm not bullshitting. I'm asking you to dig deep. I'm going to meet you where you're at and I'm going to hold space for you while that happens. I am asking you to bear it all. So physically, I bear it all because if you're bearing it all emotionally, I am right there in the trenches with you. I'm going to do it physically. I already bared it all emotionally. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, br- I think it's brilliant. Well, it I mean, accident. Yeah. But it was, it was genuinely what I was doing, so it fit so well. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it could be good. It, it was completely unintentional. Is it good branding? Sure, but that was not why I did it. I really am supporting the people that are willing to bear their stories with me because it is fucking hard to bear your story. I know that because I did it. And I'm asking yeah. And I am here holding space for you while you do that. And I'm going to be, you know, being naked is not super uncomfortable for me, but it is uncomfortable for most people. And it's not the most comfortable thing in like live. I'm always naked live. And I am legitimately naked. I do not have clothes on. I am, I am willing to put myself. So emotionally for me, I know that I'm physically naked and that puts me in a certain vulnerable open space to meet people where they're at, to share their story. And to hold that space for them. So, I mean, it really was a happy accident because I wasn't wearing pants. And I, I changed the name and instantly. And then I went video. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm legitimately supporting my cause. Well, I think, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the branding thing is where you're right on that. But it's really more about bearing it all. I mean, when I was on your podcast, you asked me a lot of questions that I was not expecting that were like, dig deep questions about, you know, support from certain people in my life. And it was hard. It was hard to talk about some of it. So I just, you know, I thank you for doing what you're doing, Jen, because I think you're a game changer for a lot of people. And I think people are going to watch this podcast and they're going to say, you know what, maybe I need to be more vulnerable. Maybe I can learn from my vulnerability. And I think that's, I think that's the lesson. That's at least what I am taking away from it. So 
Yes, and you know what? You asked me something earlier about when my ex-husband said, you're so strong, you'll never have a successful relationship, and it's nagging the crap out of me. I think through bearing it all, you learn so much being vulnerable. Like when we talk about being raw and being vulnerable, my show asks you to be more raw than you were expecting usually, and I don't prepare questions. I, I'm very off the cuff, but I genuinely want to know your super raw story. When you do that, you learn a lot of things about yourself. And I think at that point when he made that comment to me, I had already learned enough about myself. I was not uncomfortable with my strength of my personality because I wasn't being malicious and I wasn't, it, it should be a positive thing. It should be something that someone, a partner is proud of that I'm this strong person, right? So when he said that, I, I mean, there's only a couple of times in life where you say the right thing at the right time and you're like, yes, I need to leave the room right now because I just, I just nailed it. And that was one. My, of the mic drop, the mic drop. I mean, that was a mic drop moment, but it was also a moment where I learned a lot about myself. Like, oh, I know that I'm strong and I'm okay with it. And I know that I'm strong and someone else should love that part of me because it's one of the benefits of my personality, the great things about my personality. And I think when, hopefully, when you come on my podcast and you're more raw and bare than you anticipated, it will be an inner enlightening for that person to realize that they don't need to be afraid of who they are. And for me, it was, I was not afraid of how strong my personality was because I mean it with positive intent and I needed to find someone who loved it about me instead of was a, thought it was a detriment in my personality. So you know, there's a lot of good things about your personality. People may have told you were bad. They're not bad. It was not the right match. Well, I also think a lot of it comes down to men versus women. And I hate to play the gender card, right? I mean, in my day job, I'm in a male dominated field. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a strongly outspoken, outspoken man. But then when a strongly outspoken woman speaks, people are like, what's her problem? You know, where, where men might be commended for their strength and strength, strong personality, sometimes women are not. Oh, men in sales or men, right. are, men are the stud because they had sex with women and women are bitchy and sluts. <laughs> I, time ago, I wanted to be a bitchy slut. <laughs> I love you. I, but, I, yeah. Okay. I like sex and I want to have it. So if you're a stud and I'm a slut, but we were both in the same room doing the same thing, that sucks out the window. And right. sort of at your job and that's looked on positively for a man, but I'm a bitch. Like, okay. So I mean, clearly that just means I want to be a bitchy slut and you have to be cool with being a bitchy slut. Or what? I guess I, I guess I need to look in, inside on that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say about that. So, Jen, I got to tell you, though, it's been such a joy to have you on my show. Like, I was so looking forward to this conversation because I always want to find out, like, the innards of people. My mother used to say that, the innards of people, and find out, like, what makes people tick. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. So how do people find, you know, one, find your book, find your podcast, find out anything about you? momof18.com and it, if it's mom of one eight but if you spell the word 18 you're gonna get to this 
I bought them both so people didn't have to be confused. You don't have to think about it. Momof18.com is my website. That's everything you ever did not want to know about me, but it's all my contact. There's a Google Voice on there. My email is on there. All my social media, a contact form. Like I couldn't possibly make it easier for you to get in touch with me on your platform of choice. If you want the book, I will email you the PDF at no charge. I know I had a link on the website so you could just like send me your email, get the PDF. Um, I, it's been changing. So if you don't see that and you want it, ask me. I'll email it to you. I'll email you the book. You hit the point where, like, I never thought the book was going to be this big money-making J.K. Rowling situation, make a movie and all that stuff. I have a reality TV show. That was never my goal. It has never happened. I don't care. But you realize that if you want people to read it to make a difference to one, they actually have to get it in their hands. And if they don't know mm -hmm. about it, it or can't get it or then you're not making a difference and so for me it just became more about making a difference so if you want to buy it I'll sign you can send it to me I'll sign it and send it back that's awesome thank you I appreciate the two dollar royalty I get but if you just want to read it I can email the PDF for free well it's definitely a moving piece and I really appreciate the fact that you wrote it because I learned a lot I, I just it made me be a little introspective also and I think that's kind of the key is that we all kind of take a look at who we are, where we come from, and you know what the the trajectory of our life is going to be. And I think you really encompass that in that book. And I just want to thank you for that. So Jen, thanks so much for being on my show. You're just awesome. And remember, everybody, it's important to to always be kind to people. Always leave people better for having known you. I'm Connie Bramer. This was Laughter and Inspiration. I'll catch you next time. Thanks. Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan, even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. Uh, airplane driver? Um, no, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh, their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next, whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com.